Welcome to the Quality Meet Scotland podcast. Industry updates and best practice to promote, support, develop and protect the Scottish red meat sector. Hello and thank you very much for choosing to listen to this. I'm Mark Stephen. An old friend of mine who's a dairy farmer was outraged at all the talk during COP26 about cows belching methane and supposedly destroying the planet. What would you rather be locked in a garage overnight with, she asked, your car with the engine running or a farting cow? Now, I know it's not very scientific, but it makes a point of sorts. Reducing global emissions of greenhouse gases was the whole point of COP26, and cows, any ruminants, as a matter of fact, produce methane. Scottish farmers are undoubtedly going to be asked to address that fact, so the question really is, how? Two people join me for this podcast. Caroline Duffy leads SRUC's Beef and Sheep Research Centre. Her research has largely focused on ruminant production systems and most recently on the development and application of precision livestock farming solutions for the monitoring of individual animal productivity, health and welfare. Robert Ramsey is an agricultural consultant who works for SAC Consulting and Air. He's got a specialist interest in beef production systems and business management. Away from work, Robert runs the family farm in partnership with his mum and dad, where they run 40 suckler cows and 300 breeding ewes. Thank you both for joining me. Good afternoon, Mark. Good afternoon. Thanks for having us. Nice to have you, Robert, again. What is this, third time now? It is the third time, yep, third time lucky. You'd be getting a frequent flyer badge. I'm going to start with you, Carol. Do we have an accurate figure for how much farming contributes to the UK's overall greenhouse gas emissions? Yeah, if we look at agriculture, it accounts for about 10% of total UK greenhouse gas emissions. And if we look at enteric methane alone, so through cattle, that's 47%, so quite significant. That's quite a high figure. That surprises me. It is. So it's roughly, what, 5% of the overall greenhouse gas emissions in the UK come from cattle? Indeed. Okay. Now, I'm aware of the fact that research has been going on for some time now, looking at reducing those emissions. How's that been going on? Can you give me an overview? Yeah, no, it's been going really well. So I've been involved in our Beef and Sheep Research Centre now for about 10 years. Time flies. We've been doing quite a lot of work around methane. I have to say that's been one of our key focuses for all of those 10 years. I guess the research falls into a few key categories for me. So we've been focused on how we can manipulate the the animal's diet, for example, through the use of feed additives to reduce methane production. We've been looking at things like breeding for, for low methane, breeding for high feed efficiency. We've been looking at how we can understand the rumen microbiome, so all the bugs that make up that animal's rumen that that digests feed, and how that relates to methane and how that relates to animal performance. One of the areas I've been more actively involved in, I have to say, is developing technologies. So how we can work with technology companies to develop on-farm systems that farmers can use to optimise efficiency of their business, but also reduce their overall carbon footprint. And I guess also we've been looking at proxy measurements. So how can we develop systems that allow us to measure methane emissions in a more commercial farming system? Robert, how much of that research has been put into practice? It's a really exciting time really for farmers. It's a, probably a worrying time for individual farmers as well. Things are changing. We've asked for change for many years. All, all the years I've been working and, and farming at home, we've been saying that you know this is unsustainable. Things have to change. Now we've got change and we don't necessarily all like it. You know, the, the face of Scottish farming is is different this year to what it was last year. And it's undoubtedly in five years' time, it's going to be very different to what it is just now. And with that, I think the pace of change when it comes to technology is really 
pretty vast, pretty rapid at the moment. And certainly I'm seeing a lot of farms really engaging and really getting involved with um, technology and, and particularly in, in the, the cattle context, looking at EID, individual weighing, individual monitoring of animals. And, and the big thing with that is these things are driven. They've got a huge carbon gain you know there's a huge saving we can make in terms of the environment but there's also a huge financial gain we can uh, we can if we can save on inputs we can reduce methane emissions and also put more money in the bank so for me it's, it's the, the double-edged sword and I certainly when talking to farmers would focus more on the financial end than I would on the, the carbon end it's an easier sell we're all quite tight and it's always easier to save money than save carbon it's great saving money, but sometimes to do that, you have to invest money in the first place in new technologies. Not everybody's keen to do that. Technology get, tends to get cheaper as it as it evolves. And you look at your own PC, you know, you spent thousands of pounds on a, a PC maybe 20 years ago, and now you've got way more power and way more output from your phone. You know, th- things have changed. But the other thing we've had was the Sustainable Agriculture Capital Grant Scheme. So Scottish Government put a lot of money into that grant scheme and, and did encourage a lot of people to take that first step into technology. And, and generally, once you make a start and once you see the positive gains you get from it, the more willing you are to embrace the next change and, and you know, bolt something else onto that system to push things forward. First and foremost, we need to research and make sure you're investing in the right thing. But once we know that, eh, there's definitely loads of systems out there that can be really beneficial at a farm level. That's always a problem, though, because I mean, you, you'll get people who are sort of bold and courageous, Carolan, you know, and they're early adopters. You know, they'll jump. Other folk will be sitting there saying, no, I want this to be a mature technology by the time I actually invest my money in it. And they wait. The trouble is you can wait for a long time. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And that's always going to be one of the key difficulties. But I guess our job and I guess my job as well as Robert's job really is to demonstrate the benefits that we can achieve through adoption of technology, both in terms of the economics. But, but I see a bit of a trend with farmers. You know, they're starting to get much more interested in how technology or new solutions can really benefit them in terms of reducing their carbon footprint. So if, if the object of the exercise is to reduce emissions and to make the businesses more efficient. How can precision agricultural technologies do that? The real drive towards technology, it's not the technology itself. We can all get wrapped up in something that's really exciting, but it's really the information that the technology can present to the farmer. So if we take an example project that I'm working on at the minute, it's very much focused on using technology to drive efficiency savings on farms. So if we look at beef carcasses that are meeting the slaughterhouse at the minute I reckon about 50% of those are meeting our optimal market specifications as you know the problem with that is that the animals are being retained on farm too long they're using resources that we don't necessarily need them to use contributing to our greenhouse gas emissions etc etc and also there's a financial issue with that in that farmers are, are receiving heavy price penalties for out of spec carcasses so what we're trying to do is essentially deal with this issue on farm by using different types of technology. So for example, the use of simple automatic weighers to give us information on how an animal's productivity, how it's performing, advanced 3D imaging, for example, to provide information on carcass value. And it's the information on value that's most important to the farmer, not necessarily technology itself. 
and, and various other technologies that look at different aspects of the production system, like feed intake, for example, or water intake. So the real benefit is the information that you, that you generate and provide to the farmer and the methodology in which you present that information that really should drive change, not necessarily the technology itself. I'm trying hard not to laugh out loud when you mention 3D imaging there, because how well does it work with hairy coos? Oh, well, we're, we're, we're over that it has been a bit of an issue, I have to say. It's more of a problem in sheep than it is in cattle. That's not now a major problem. You know, we've got advanced 3D camera systems that we can easily integrate into automatic wave platforms on farm. And we've got some very, very, very smart computer vision scientists that can essentially deal with those sorts of issues from, a, from an image. There's a lot of nascent technology at the moment, Robert. You know, so, so if, if you're out there doing your job as an agricultural consultant, farmers must be saying to you, yeah, but which one? should I use? It's really hard because it, the thing is, well, so working for SEC Consulting, we pride ourselves on being impartial and that's our, our business model is built on being impartial. And then someone says, what, what one's the best one or which one should I use? And, and it, is a, it is a challenge. But what we can do, I mean, we sit down with the customer and, and look at what they actually need. And, and there's a lot of the technology that's there. There's some very, very complex stuff out there. And there's also some really simple stuff that's going to often the simple stuff has the biggest impact on the business so it's really about sitting around the kitchen table and having that meaningful discussion and saying look what are you looking for out of this because there's nothing worse than paying for you know a subscription to a program for example that you you're only going to use 10 percent of it so it's all about meeting the needs of the or marrying up the needs of the customer and the facilities within that program or within that that bit of technology so you know how much does that farmer actually need and or how much are they going to use and you know try, trying to marry up the, their expectations with a, a reasonable price tag as well so it, it's great as well to have competition because when there's competition in any market it pushes people to be better and that's why that's that's how ultimately we're going to make progress in this area that as each bit of technology gets better than the one before it the next one has to step up so I think it's really quite exciting watching this all evolve and and for those people who don't you know, they don't want to invest until the best technologies out there. Back when we were living in caves, somebody somewhere got up and got out. And that's the thing, you, you, you need to kick on and do something. And yes, if you invest in something this year, the following year, something will be better, but you'll have had a year's worth of benefit from it. I spoke some months ago on this QMS podcast series, Galan, to a research scientist in Canada who was doing some fascinating stuff with feed additives, you know, which which were able to reduce methane emissions. How are those, you know, additives shaping up? Yeah, I think this is actually quite an exciting area at the minute and one that I think has been moving along quite fast in the past few years. And as you're probably familiar, we've actually got a... A, a nice research facility at um, SRUC that allows us to, to essentially measure methane emissions from cattle. So allows us to look in detail at some of these specific feed additives. I guess you can classify additives into two particular types. You've got your synthetic based additives. For example, you'll probably be familiar with a, a product called 3NOP. It's manufactured by a company called DSM. I think it's called Bovair 10. We also get your more natural based additives. So for example, essential oils extracted from plants or probably the one that's gained most interest in, in the last few months is potential to use seaweed in, in feeds. So the real thing about feed additives is that they really must be effective at reducing methane. They may have a potential benefit in terms of productivity. 
but they've also got to be safe to feed to animals and enter the food chain. So the three additives, I guess, that are of gaining most interest at the minute really relate to our essential oils, our, our three NOP products and seaweed. Are you getting questions about that too when you're out and about, Robert? Actually, in, in, in recent weeks, there's been a, a big announcement that there's going to be methane inhibitors manufactured in Dorai and Ayrshire near, near me, near home, so in, on our home patch. And that's really got people talking about what, you know, what's it all about? What are they? And again, the exciting thing for me is that, you know, methane is a, is a, a loss to the, it's a loss of energy from the system. So if we can reduce the level, level of methane being lost from the system, we can actually improve performance and improve peak conversion efficiency and, and ultimately reduce days alive, which will further reduce methane emissions as well. So it's, um, it's interesting. Are we there yet? There's a lot of farmers asking, when's it coming? Is it going to be a thing? We've not had a lot of questions as to, you know, actually using it. But I, I do think, as Caroline says, it's moving very fast. And I think for next next winter's rations, I think there'll be more questions about it. And, you know, it's a, it's a very much a developing market, which is nice to see the market stepping up and, and giving us some realistic options. Caroline, you and your team are working on something at the moment called the Green Shed Project. Can you tell me about it? There's various options for reducing methane, but one of the things that we've been exploring over the past maybe 12 to 18 months is potential to capture methane directly and utilize that within the production system so we've had some funding from scottish government and essentially bays the greenhouse gas removal program to essentially look at what a, a design might look like for a for a shed so if we can capture methane from a shed and then utilize that methane within the production system there's significant benefits to be gained in terms of reducing methane from that type of production system. How would you, I mean, what would you use the methane for? So you can use that to generate energy on farm and then use that energy that you've created to essentially run your farming business. And is it looking promising? Certainly is. So we're, we're, we're at the phase now, we've been doing some modelling work um, in collaboration with Strathclyde University and the model's looking really good. So where we would like to be going in the next few years really is to, to build a, a demonstrator facility that, that demonstrates how that system would work. How on earth would it work though? I mean, I've, I've not got much farming experience at all, but I mean, I used to work on a dairy farm years ago and I know that one of the things that really damages cattle during the wintertime is a lack of ventilation. So if, you, if you're going to have a sealed unit in the form of a green shed, how do you get ventilation and capture the methane at the same time? Yeah, so essentially it's not a sealed system. So I don't want anyone to think that we're we're generating this sealed shed. We're we're it's a mechanically ventilated shed. So when cattle would be housed and normally housed, we're not bringing cattle in from the hills. We would then essentially mechanically ventilate that shed, optimize the environment for the animals, optimize their health, optimize their welfare, optimize their productivity. So everything about controlling the environment should pay dividends in terms of animal production, but also allow us as, as an add-on to be able to capture that methane and then generate something useful with it. Ideally, reducing essentially reducing the carbon footprint of that business. You can end up with a two-tier system with us, do you reckon, Robert? Because, you know, again, looking at it, thinking, right, you've, you've got these animals in a share and it's a controlled system, you know, um, and, you know, you can you can show scientifically a very clear benefit there. You've also got animals out in the hill that are eating pasture land that would be no use for anything else. So, you know, how do you compare that apple and that orange? What you've hit on there, Mark, is a really important point, is that Scotland's a hugely diverse country and, and we've got really good good land in some areas and, and really you know 
very much biodiverse species rich land elsewhere in the country and, and there's a role for the ruminant across the whole country but her role the role of the the cow changes in some areas it's very much about food production and, and in other areas it's about the wider public goods and the, the wider uh, you know ecosystem services that we deliver so it's not going to be a two-tiered system it's going to be a multi-tiered system that this certainly will have a or may have a role to play it's where we've got a principle to prove really but this will have a role for some but certainly won't be the be all and end all and I think it's really important at this stage to acknowledge all the good that a suckler cow particularly a suckler cow does but ruminants in general you know we mentioned that the level of of emissions or the, the impact that those emissions have on in in terms of the UK targets but we also have you know the management of soils management of grasslands and the sequestration of carbon to discuss as well so for me there's a really bright positive future for the the ruminant in Scotland as part of a drive towards net zero from a farmer's perspective what what do you think is achievable in terms of short term long term gains there's a lot of low hanging fruit out there and and the one for me eid is so important and Cattle have an identity already. They've got a passport. They've got a very cumbersome way of of identifying them officially. They move towards EID. For me, the sooner we get to EID and, and a, a system of EID that's that's accepted by Scottish government, the sooner we'll actually get people heavily investing in the system going forward. At the moment, there's a bit of doubt whether it's going to be low frequency or ultra high frequency, and and when when that's the case people are, are reluctant to jump in and spend a lot of money on the various bits of kit that Carlan has described based on maybe getting the wrong one and that's something that we we all need to shout about shout about the need for it and and push for for government to to make a make a call on that one but certainly in the short term the there's a huge amount of efficiency savings to be made and at, at this stage we can have that focus on money that I was speaking about earlier on we can look at developing sustainable businesses and then as a byproduct of that we'll have have lower emissions i'm a big believer that the the market always responds when there's a when there's a big need for something to happen the market responds what we know is that globally there's a huge demand for beef and there's a huge demand for beef produced from natural systems and with that being the case, there's a huge market to actually deal with these issues. So I, I think down the line, we'll have a much more at our, our disposal to develop a, a truly low carbon, a environmentally sensitive beef system. Carlan, I mean, there's no question of the fact the market is responding. I mean, there's ideas coming right, left and centre at the moment. I mean, how exciting a time is this? You know, you said you've been doing it for 10 years to be actually working in this research field. Oh, I think it's a really exciting area, you know. Over the past 10 years, methane's gained momentum and then it's lost momentum and then it's gained momentum. But but actually, we're starting to see a lot more industry investment in trying to generate solutions that are really applicable to your commercial farm. So for me, that's the, the key benefit and one of the key exciting areas. I do a lot of work that's industry-led, working with commercial companies that can essentially develop a system that can get to market with a real aim on focusing on a specific challenge, whether that's around disease detection or productivity benefits or directly around methane. So there's lots and lots of interest and yeah, it's a really exciting area. How important do you think it is for the red meat industry to interact with politicians, with civil servants, with the media, that kind of thing? I think it's absolutely vital. I think it's it's never been more important and, and we now have a 
I was going to say a well-read, we've got a consumer who knows a little about a lot and we've got a social media and basically very condensed messages getting out to people. And, and for me, lying to our consumers a major problem. That's something we really cannot afford to do. In any industry, you can't afford to do that. But at this stage, we need to be out there with facts and telling, um, showing farmers, or showing consumers, sorry, what, what the problem is and what we're trying to do. And for that, I think I would I would highlight the television has been really, I've spent quite a long time trying not to throw things at the television, watching various adverts and things, but the worms turning quietly. And I saw the McDonald's advert recently and McDonald's are basically have said they are supporting UK agriculture by buying British to allow farmers to make the investments they need to become sustainable or, or for a sustainable future. And I think that's a wonderful message and one that we really should be we should be shouting shouting from the rooftops. And as far as engaging with politicians, you know, very, very important and, and policymakers, we need to get our point across to them, but it must be fact-based. It can't just be roughly what we want them to hear. It has to be based on fact. I agree with Robert there. You know, it's really, really very important for us to get the key facts out there, you know, key messages around where we can generate these benefits across the supply chain, not to an individual farm level, but across the supply chain, and absolutely essential to engage with politicians. You obviously both feel it's important for farmers to have the facts, to have the information. Where did they get that, Robert? Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of information out there, and there's, there's obviously plenty of options just starting on Google. But for me, the place to, as I said before, we, we, want, we want facts, we want the the correct information and, and for me the, the best place to go for that is the Farming for a Better Climate website. So Farming for a Better Climate is a, a Scottish government funded programme which uh, we've been very involved with and basically it's it's all about um, key messages and hint, hints and tips, things that farmers can do to make a positive difference and there's, there's everything on there from reducing methane and cattle right through to renewable heat options and you know there's there's a whole swathe of material there and, and really well worth a visit hence the the shameless plug quite right too now and, and caroline the work that you do is, is that are you just speaking to other scientists or the research is it condensed in any way into bite-sized chunks that people could use um, it certainly is if you um, you can actually go on to our SRUC web page. We've got a new web page. It's much easier to navigate now. And you'll see whole rafts of different research centres with some important information on project-specific detail if you go onto the website. And I think it's it's worth flinging in there as well that we are part or a lot of my role is as, as an extension service as well to extend those research messages from Carolan out, yep. out to the field. So our consultants and advisors out there are all and also crucially lecturers are, are out there extending those messages and and, and working with the cutting edge information that Caroline's given us. Would this have been happening 10 years ago Caroline? This degree of cooperation? I, I think we've always been quite good between ourselves I think that's the benefit of the structure of SRUC and that we've got that extension service through our consultancy arm so we've always been very good at interacting with our consultants and trying to get that message out to farm. I don't I think, know how you feel about that, Robert. I think there's maybe never been a bigger need. Yep. So it's a united front we need at the moment. It's not a fight for survival, but it's a fight to get our message out there and make sure that our positive industry is seen for all the all the good that it does. It's not about SRUC, SAC, QMS, you know, NFU. It's all these bodies cooperating yep. and working together. So I think with that need, we certainly are 
pro- we probably are working a bit closer together, but we've we've had the model for some time as to how to do that, and it's really quite exciting to see the the positives to see it really really getting going and and certainly bringing in these other organisations, which have got a huge amount to give as well. Caroline Duthie and Robert Ramsey, thank you both very much for your time. Thanks very much. Thanks. I hope, listening to this, you found it useful too. Uh, next week, I'm going to be talking to the Cabinet Secretary for Rural Affairs and Islands, uh, Marie Goujon, to get her take on how she felt COP26 went and what the Scottish red meat industry can do going forwards. Until the next time, I'm Mark Stephen. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. For news and to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, visit qmscotland.co.uk. For Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork recipe videos and inspiration, visit www.scotchkitchen.com or follow Scotch Kitchen on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.